I have two quotes for you today. The first is from the book Biophilia by Edward O. Wilson. Some refer to him as the father of biodiversity, and here's what he wrote. The one process now going on that will take millions of years to correct is the loss of genetic and species diversity by the destruction of natural habitats. This is the folly our descendants are least likely to forgive us. The second quote is from David Attenborough in an interview with the BBC. If I could read it in his voice, I would, but alas, I only have what I have. So here's what he said. It is that range of biodiversity that we must care for, the whole thing, rather than just one or two stars. Hey y'all, I'm Paul Sievers, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County, and you are listening to Take It Outdoors, a Great Parks of Hamilton County podcast. This is a show where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. In today's episode, we are looking into plant diversity. Why should we care about it, and who suffers when there's a lack of it? In David Attenborough's quote, the stars he refers to are the large, charismatic animals that get all the attention. But we have to remember, without biodiversity in all kingdoms of life, even the large, charismatic animals suffer. We have to see the system as a whole and not just the larger parts. The Edward O. Wilson quote highlights how easy it is to lose diversity and the far-reaching effects that it has. With habitat destruction comes the loss of countless species, which means a drop in biodiversity. So I traveled to Miami Whitewater Forest on a breezy, mild summer day to speak with Tim Osborne at the Shaker Trace Nursery to find out more about the importance of biodiversity and what can be done to preserve it. So this is a special in the field episode and I hope you all enjoy it. We're at the Shaker Trace Nursery, which is a part of Miami Whitewater Forest. And I am joined by Tim Osborne, who is the manager here at the, the Shaker Trace Nursery. So Tim, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I want to talk to you about the diversity of our parks and how the nursery plays a role in that. Can you give us a rundown on what the, the mission of the, the nursery is here at Whitewater? The mission here at the nursery is to have a reliable seed source, or uh, actually a reliable native seed source to restore farmland, create wetlands, create new prairies, uh, all of which we have do done since its inception in 1992. But the, the, the one thing that we really hang our hat on is that we have the local genotype seed. All of the seed that we use is within a hundred mile radius of the nursery from, from the original date of, of its inception. And, Local genotype is very, very important in terms of germination percentages and survivability of, of plants. So it's just adapted to our climate and our moisture, you know, and our soil types, etc. So you went to Minnesota and you took a plant, same exact species, but if it's a different genotype, it might not have the same survival rates as one, even though it's the same species, it's still just adapted differently? Exactly, yeah. There's been so many studies done on, on that, just that. For example, a red maple, uh, one of the studies that I was involved in was Acer rubrum, which grows in Minnesota, it grows in Florida. Uh, down south, it's called the swamp maple. In Minnesota, it, it's called red maple. Uh, but it's the same species and a, a plant from Minnesota will not tolerate the heat, the humidity, 
for the, the long periods of time, like the one from Florida and vice versa. The, the, the red maple from Florida or the swamp maple from Florida will not tolerate the, the cold winters up there. I mean, they just haven't adapted to that. So I guess humans aren't very different either, right? No. We kind of <laughs> get adapted to where we I don't grew like, up. I don't like the heat either. <laughs> I could go to Minnesota right now. So how many different species of plants do you grow here at the nursery? Well, we grow about 150 plus uh, native forbs. Uh, they consist of grasses, uh, wetland plants, and prairie plants. And we're just starting to get into more woodland plants. Do you have any idea on how many individual seeds you process through the year? Oh, goodness. That, that's, that'd be an astronomical figure. I mean, I can tell you how many species and how many pounds of seed we process, but the, the seed that we use, it's interesting because we, we do know how many seeds are in each species that we grow here. In other words, um, Virginia Meadow Beauty, Rexia, uh, it, it would have about 80,000 seeds per ounce, somewhere around there. So that's per ounce. And, and uh, you know, we, we produce and process pounds of it each year. So that's a small seed. Some of the bigger seeds, like the silphium, there might be 70 seeds per ounce. Uh, you know, the compass plant, the cup plant, prairie dock, those, those silphium plants. So those seeds are a little bit bigger. Do you know how many pounds, though, a year? Yeah, we, we usually process anywhere from, I'd say, 250 to 400, 450 pounds a year. Really, it, it really depends on the demand. We don't want to just process seed and have it on the shelves just to, to have it there. You know, we, we, we want to have seed for, for purpose. And the cost of the seeds is, is also mind-boggling. Uh, an example of supply and demand just in terms of monetary value is the Asclepius, the milkweeds. With the monarch blight that's been going on, you know, it's nationwide. The value of that seed has really shot up. Common milkweed, let's say five years ago, was about $10, $12 an ounce. Now it's about $30, $35 an ounce. That's, that's kind of the middle of the road with values. Some of the grasses are lower, you know, they're 2 to $5 an ounce. Some of the goldenrods and baptisias can be up near 80 to $100 an ounce. So the value is just unbelievable, which, which brings up a good point that, you know, we don't, we're not selling the seed, but we save the parks hundreds of thousands of dollars because we have that source right here. We don't have to buy it. When you talk about processing these seeds, what, what exactly does that mean? Processing uh, really uh, means from harvest to sowing the seed wherever it's going to end up. And, the, and in between there are the pro is the process. So when we harvest essentially everything by hand, um, at, at least here at the nursery. Um, and different species can take different periods of time to be ready to be processed. The first thing is that we have to put them in the in the drying barn and let them dry. You know, nothing can happen until the seed 
is dry because we don't want to, you know, we don't want to encourage mold or mildew or any kind of fungus, bacteria. So once it's dry, we then mulch it through a mulcher, which is, uh, you know, you could have, it could be a homeowner special. It could be something that you mulch up leaves in your yard. The difference being we have screens that, that we've adapted to the mulcher. We sort of um, retrofit these screen sizes onto the mulcher and we use the different sizes depending on the species we're mulching. Once that's done, we sweep it up and we can put it in these seed processors, which is just a series of screens. We have a top screen and a bottom screen and it just, it literally just shakes it out and you've got the seed coming out here and you've got the uh, unwanted material or the duff we call it coming out over here. So once that's done, we take our seed, we take it into the climate controlled um, room here in the barn and we can weigh it and then uh, inventory it. And we do have a live inventory which is real helpful in knowing what we have. Is there a, an amount of time that most seeds can stay dormant? It's variable. I mean, just in terms of seed viability, shelf life that is, is what I deal with a lot. There are, some, there are some seeds that, you know, after a year, the germination percentage really starts to plummet. Like the prairie drop seed is a good example. The, 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 that, that we don't harvest unless we have a use for it in a mix. Whereas some of the silphiums, like the cup plant, prairie docks, compass plants, those seeds last a long time. I, 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 I can't tell you exactly how long, but I'd say, you know, a decade or more. Now you're gonna lose some germination percentage, but they stay viable. And of course, the atmosphere has a lot to do with that, you know. We keep it in a climate controlled atmosphere where we try to moderate the temperature and humidity so we don't have these peaks you know going up and down up and down we try to keep that horizontal line of about 60 percent humidity and you know keep the temperature from getting really hot or really cold and the seeds stay viable much longer so what is the purpose with all of these seeds november of 16 we reclaimed a 43 acre tract right down here on oxford road it was farmland it was actually a cornfield that year and uh, we planted the seed in November of that same year so I knew in advance that we were going to do that so I put together a mix of 43 different species which is a pretty diverse mix we always try to to have at least 20 different species in a mix a minimum of 20 which is pretty good too. I mean, the, really the minimum is nine. You know, you want three per season, three different species per season. So anyway, 43 species was a highly diverse mix. And I knew this in advance, so I was able to, to gear my harvests just for that. So in other words, if we know, if we know we're gonna use the seed for a, a particular purpose, we can harvest accordingly. So why would you want that type of diversity? What, where's the benefit in putting more different types of species together like that? Biodiversity is essential in sustaining our ecosystem. You know, it not only does it sustain the insects, I mean, that's where it all starts is with insects. There's, 
and there's a monarch that just flew past us. That's pretty cool. It's hard, you know, it's really hard to explain the importance of insects to your neighbors, for example, because they want plants that don't attract insects. And that's why all these alien non-native plants are coming in because they don't attract the insects that our native plants do. But our native plants are essential in that they do attract insects and those native insects attract the native birds that eat them. And you know, it's just that cycle that just, you know, it sustains itself. Creating diversity in the plants creates diversity with the animals as well. Exactly. And natives are important in sustaining that biodiversity. You know, you're not going to do that with alien plants. Can you give a couple other examples that where people can really go into the parks and see the direct benefits of the nursery here? Yeah, if you go out here to the, uh, the Shaker Trace uh, Loop, it's an eight mile paved trail that goes, it's circular and it, it goes through a lot of prairies and wetlands that were generated from seed that we grew here at the nursery. So that's a, you know, that's kind of a large scale, high impact area, but there's others too, the, the, the aforementioned Miller track right over here on Oxford Road, which is just going into its second year. And usually prairies, the first two to three years, it's just underground root development where they're just filling space underground. And then the third, fourth year, they'll really shoot up. But this one's showing a lot of, a lot of color already. So I think that's gonna be a, a really nice prairie. And it's also highly diverse, as I said. There's 43 different species in that, which is, that's a good mix. But the, the dog park down on 128, uh, we went down there and put a prairie in behind it and kind of around the front of it, we put a lot of, uh, kind of a diverse mix of, of uh, partridge pea and gray-headed coneflower, purple coneflower, and there's some mints and just a lot of, it's, it's just like a pollinator community down there. So that, that's, and it's, it's highly visible. You know, if you pull in the parking lot, you're gonna see it. How would the parks, be different if we didn't have the oh, nursery. It, it's, it'd be, I, of course I have a vested interest, as we all do. Plants aren't optional, they're essential. There's been a lot of studies, and I'm speaking native, not, I can't stress enough the importance of native, and this is a native seed nursery. There's been a lot of studies on the, the hosting capacities of alien plants, and the numbers are frightening. So if you can imagine, like we go in and we kill off a lot of autumn olive, a lot of honeysuckle, a lot of pear, a lot of these alien invaders that we brought here. And the reason that we do that is because they grow at a much quicker rate. They're a lot more aggressive and they're gonna eventually just choke out everything else. You know, left to their own devices out here in these prairies, it would be autumn olive, honeysuckle and pear and you wouldn't see all this other stuff. That is that uh, sustainability that we talk about. We wanna keep that, and, and that biodiversity is essential in sustaining our ecosystem. And, and if we, if we remo remove any part of that, we are all gonna suffer. As an example, an oak houses more Lepidoptera species than, than any other native tree. And goldenrods are kind of the, in that same class on the foreband. Again, they're not, it's not an option, they're essential. 
So what you're saying then is these native plants as a host, there's all these other insects and animals and birds that can use these as opposed to invasive species like honeysuckle. There's very few native species of animals that can utilize that plant. Right. Now, honeysuckle, people, we, we, get the, we get asked a lot, well, I see birds eating the berries all the time on honeysuckle. And that's true. And they do, and that's a lot of the reason why honeysuckle spreads like it does. The birds, like, what I'm trying to think of is like a nesting bird. A lot of them will eat fruit, you know, before that. But when they're nesting, they need that, that uh, caterpillar protein, or that insect protein that they're not going to get in honeysuckle or pear or autumn olive. You know, uh, uh, I read a study once where uh, chickadee, Carolina chickadees, when they're when they're nesting, the adult chickadee will go through 300 caterpillars a day just to feed her her nest. So, take that out of the equation, and then what? You know, and then that just it just it's a downward spiral when we take any of the native plants or native insects or native birds or animals. They're all dependent upon each other just like we are, you know, we're dependent on them, you know. 80% of the food we eat is from a pollinator. So essentially then diversity is its own support system. And you take out diversity, you've taken out the support system and populations just collapse. Yeah. Yep, the, the natives are important in sustaining that, that biodiversity. Folks, that is our show for today. For more information on the Shaker Trace Nursery and the Shaker Trace Trail, where you can see the prairies Tim spoke of, check out our website at greatparks.org. A big thank you to Tim Osborne, and of course, thank you listeners for joining us on Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Make sure to check back next month for our next episode. Until then, I'm Paul Sievers. Get outside, enjoy nature.